people often ask me, why can't priests get married? And a lot of times when they ask me that question, they, they kind of ask it with kind of a tone of compassion, as if they, they you can almost tell, like they really feel bad for me. And, and, and they say it kind of like this, like, I really wish the church would change that rule for you. It's kind of sad that priests don't get married, you know, and they kind of wonder why. And usually in those conversations, I give them um, a little bit of the reasons historically why uh, priests in the West don't get married. It's true that there are some married priests. Uh, it's it, in the Eastern Church, priests get married, and there are a few exceptions in the Western Church, but for the majority of us, we're not married. So why is that so? Well, there's three main reasons why the priests, like myself, do not get married. The first is the Christological reason. So that is a word meaning pertaining to Christ, Christological. The Christological reason why priests don't get married is because Jesus didn't get married. Jesus, um, we know from Scripture, never had a wife or a family. And because the priest is supposed to imitate Christ in all things, and in a particular way, stand in the person of Christ, especially as he administers the sacraments, as the priest is supposed to be the supreme witness of Jesus Christ on earth, it is fitting that the priest also does not marry because Jesus never got married. That's the Christological reason. The second is the ecclesiological reason. That's a big word meaning pertaining to the church, ecclesiology. The ecclesiological reason is because we know that as Christ, his bride was the church, so too as the priest stands in the person of Christ, he in a special way, in a particular way, is in a sense espoused to the church. And so, of course, this marriage of the priest and the church looks obviously a little different than human marriage between man and a woman. Um, there is the, the, the same themes of fidelity and self-gift and, um, and fruitfulness. All of that still applies in the priest's relationship to the church. On a practical level, if you were to look, uh, follow me around for a week, and you were to, to notice and observe the types of conversations that I have with people and the amount of people with which I have those conversations all in just one week, you would realize that it would probably be unfair for me to have a wife and kids because I would not be emotionally and spiritually available to them. Instead of being particular in my love, my heart is expanded in such a way that it's open to enter into these types of relationships for a greater amount of people. So that's just one practical reason uh, that's related to the ecclesiological reason why priests don't get married. The third reason is highlighted a little bit in today's gospel. It's the eschatological reason. And that's a big word that means pertaining to the end times. In other words, pertaining to heaven, pertaining to our destiny. The eschatological reason why priests don't get married is so that we can be signs of heaven. Signs of the destiny towards which all of us, married or not, are called. And Jesus unpacks that a little bit for us in today's gospel. So in today's gospel, we have, in classic fashion, 
a group of people that are trying to kind of publicly trick Jesus to make Jesus look like a fool. And this time it's the Sadducees. And, you know, as we read scripture, there's all kinds of different groups of people that are kind of highlighted. You have the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Essenes, and, and the list goes on and on. But the Sadducees, there's a number of things that make them unique. But one of the things that makes the Sadducees unique is the fact that they do not believe in the resurrection of the body. And whenever I say resurrection of the body, a lot of people immediately think of the resurrection of Jesus's body. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about at the end of time, how all people who have ever lived, their souls will be reunited with their body. That's the resurrection of the body, the parousia. And we look forward to that. And we, we, we talk about that in the creed every Sunday. Well, that belief is not just a Catholic belief. That belief is rooted in Scripture. It's rooted even as far back as the Old Testament. And it seems that the majority of Jews actually um, kind of embrace this belief, including Jesus. However, the Sadducees didn't. Which, side note, the book of Maccabees from the Old Testament was our first reading today, and it even gives themes to that belief. But the Sadducees didn't, so they're trying to like disprove this to Jesus publicly, and they say, well, Jesus, um, what about leveret marriage? Well, leveret marriage is, um, it comes from the law of Moses, which is also in the Old Testament, and it's this, uh, this teaching of Moses that says that when a man marries a wife, if he dies before they have children, that man's brother is obligated to marry that wife, so that descendants can be made on behalf of the dead brother. So the Sadducees say, well, Jesus, what if that happens, but the second brother also dies without children, and the third brother, and the fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh brother all marry this woman, and none of them have kids, and they all die? That poor woman, first of all. Also, I would have hated to be the seventh brother. Can you imagine how nervous you'd been, number six or seven? And so they say, well, Jesus, whose wife would this be whenever they all go to heaven at the resurrection of the body? Whose wife would this be? They're trying to like show Jesus, like, look how foolish the resurrection of the body is. They're like, yeah, we finally got him. And Jesus, in classic fashion, responds in such a way that is beyond anything that they were expecting. He says, the children of this age marry and remarry, but those who are deemed worthy to the age, to attain to the coming age, neither marry nor are given in marriage. In other words, those who enter into eternal life do not marry. I'll say it more clearly. There's no marriage in heaven. So that may not seem like good news to you. You're like, wait, hold up. Say, come again. Jesus is saying there's no marriage in heaven. So how could this be? What, what could he possibly mean? And how could this be good news? Maybe you're immediately thinking of your spouse or your future spouse. And you're thinking like, that doesn't sound like heaven to me. If that's true, then I don't want to go. But it's good news because Jesus said it. And so usually we just, if, if it feels like bad news, it's just because we don't fully understand it. So what does Jesus mean? What he means is that in heaven, there's no human marriage as, insofar as we understand it right now. There's no natural marriage. Why? Because 
the, the union, the natural marriage on earth, uh, the union of man and woman, um, is actually, it's, it's greater in heaven because we are united with God himself. And that union between man and God, between God and the individual human soul, that union is so great so divine, so amazing, and so fulfilling that every other human desire cannot even compare. That's the destiny towards which we're all called. And you may still be hung up like, but, but still, like, but what about my spouse? Like, I'm going to miss him or I'm going to miss her. Well, here's the deal. The, the purpose of your marriage is to get your spouse to heaven. That's the primary purpose of your marriage. And if you both make it there, you'll both be totally united to God in this perfect union, and therefore you'll also be spiritually united to all of the communion of saints. And so you will not be lacking your spouse if you and your spouse both make it to heaven. So first of all, it's an incentive to get your spouse to heaven, get yourself there too. And if you both make it, you won't be lacking each other. But your union will actually be greater than it is now. Your union will be on a deeper, more spiritual level because you will be united in God. St. Athanasius was once quoted that God became man so that man could become God. And what he really meant by that is God became man so that man could be deified, which is not to say that we become our own gods or we replace God, but rather that we participate in God's divine life. God became man so that we could enter into the divinity of God himself. This is amazing, earth-shattering. This is so far beyond anything we could ever imagine, that we would participate in God's divine life. That is the destiny towards which all of us are called. And those who are called to celibacy are a living witness that there is something greater than human marriage out there, namely our heavenly destiny. It's a bold statement to live a life of celibacy. It's, a, it's taking a public statement of faith saying, yes, I believe that marriage is actually good, beautiful, but so beautiful that there's in fact even something further. The marriage between God and the individual human soul. All of us are signs, no matter what vocation or season of life you may find yourself in. All of us point towards something greater because of the way that we live our life. So my question for us this evening is this, are you living your life as a sign of heaven or as a sign of earth? Are you living your life as an eschatological sign or as a secular sign? A sign of faith or a sign of self-sufficiency? And there's all kinds of different seasons of life, so I kind of want to unpack a few of them because, you know, it kind of applies differently to each person. Many of you are young. And for those who are young, to be a sign of heaven, that means that you are open to your vocation, that you're asking the Lord to reveal to you, what is my vocation? Show it to me. You know, many of us, especially the young, that there's like this pressure to make like the perfect decision that pleases both parents and friends and your own happiness and the world and just all these things. And it's just so hard and you feel like so anxious about making the perfect decision about your future and you put it all on your shoulders. 
But how many young people forget to ask the Lord to reveal it to them? That God has a perfect plan for you. Many of the young people he's going to call to natural human marriage, which is beautiful and wonderful and so important. It's the foundation of society. But some will be called to be an eschatological sign, to be either a priest or a religious uh, consecrated brother or sister. You know, a a lot of times I'll ask a young person like, um, you know, have you ever thought about a vocation to the priesthood or to the religious life? And usually my response is this, oh no, Father, I want a family. And I get it, I understand. I'm not harping on that response too much, but what I do want to say is, so you think I didn't want a family? A lot of people think like, oh, you know, what made you want to become a priest? Like you dated a little bit and like didn't work out. So like you probably tried the priesthood instead. Like I'm that socially awkward guy that like can't enter into a relationship. So like just kind of, I guess you can try priesthood. Yeah. Let me tell you, you don't want that kind of priest. You don't want the, the guys or the girls for religious life. You don't want the ones that are unable to have relationships to enter into priesthood and religious life. That would not be good for the church or for you. You want priests and consecrated religious who desire marriage because that makes them better spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers. Of course, I wanted a family. I talked about having a family before I could even speak in perfect sentences. My whole life, I always wanted that. I was stressed out about it as like a six-year-old. But nonetheless, God called me to something beyond marriage, not because marriage is bad, but because marriage is good and because there's something beyond marriage towards which marriage actually points, which is our marriage with God. So if you're young, I want to invite you to consider your your future like in God's hands and ask God to reveal it to you. Don't put the whole pressure on yourself, but instead have the courage to say, Lord, what are you inviting me to? What is your vocation for me? And there's so much freedom and so much fulfillment in that because we can follow the Lord's will and the Lord speaks to us through our deepest desires. Maybe you're married. Maybe you've already entered to the vocation of marriage. How can you be an eschatological sign? Well, you do that through your fidelity, through your pure love for your spouse, through your faithfulness and your fruitfulness to raise your family. And that images the love that Christ has for his church, his bride, the church. Some of you may be thinking, well, I tried marriage and it fell apart. Maybe you find yourself divorced. Or maybe you find yourself widowed because your spouse passed away. Or maybe you find yourself still single, but you don't consider yourself as young anymore. But it wasn't because you planned it this way, but you still find yourself single for whatever reason. How can you be an eschatological sign? Well, it's the same as the above through the purity of your life through chastity, through pure love for others, through the courageous witness of living chastely because this world hates that word. But what an amazing opportunity to be a witness that we believe in something greater than our impulse for lust. And instead, we believe in the individual marriage of the human soul with God. You can be a witness even now, even if you're not in the married vocation. And then, of course, there are those that are called to consecrated life. Priests, nuns, sisters, brothers, monks, friars, something like that. 
And they, of course, are that witness, but not necessarily or automatically. Whenever you see a priest or a nun that's angry or immoral, it's usually scandalous. But whenever we're joyful, cheerful, charitable, we show the world that, yes, life can be fulfilling beyond what meets the eye. Whatever season of life you may find yourself in, we are all called to be eschatological signs of God's love for us. Signs of heaven, signs of our destiny. We need witnesses. We need saints who are courageous enough to live in that reality, to be a witness to the world that there is something greater than the material world. We need those witnesses. And today we pray for that grace that all of us could be signs, not just of earth, but signs of heaven. Amen. Amen.